good to see you back tonight and be with you as the kids are next door having a good time in Awana and learning the Bible. You take your copy of God's Word and turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. I want to begin a, a brief series, certainly brief in comparison to our last one through Psalms. Uh, I want to begin a series this evening on the ministry of Jesus. Uh, in the New Testament and the Gospels, we are told uh, given the details about the life of Jesus and the ministry that he was involved in. And I want us to spend a few weeks uh, looking at that. The ministry of Jesus, as we begin this series, could be summed up really in two things. One, it was to do the will of the Father. Jesus said that many times. He said, I've come here to do the will of the Father. Jesus even said, I can't do anything without the Father having told me to do it. So Jesus uh, came here incarnate, perfectly obedient to the Father. And, and part of that obedience to the Father throughout the Bible, it tells us from the Old Testament New, is that God uh, seeks and saves those who are lost, that Jesus came as part of that plan to seek and to save that which is lost. And I, I, I just pulled out three verses very quickly to show you what the ministry really of Jesus is all about from the beginning, that, that God the Father knew when man fell, that there would be this recovery process that Jesus would come, and he knew that, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in Ezekiel 34, 12, the Bible says this, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. So even in the Old Testament, God said, I'll regather my sheep, I'll bring them back. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said, that's my purpose. I came here to, to seek the lost and to save them. And then, of course, we know John 3, 16, but 3, 17 really states that for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Now, the way he did that, the way that plan, the way God's purpose for him was brought to fruition, is Jesus, first of all, was incarnate. He left heaven. Now, we talk about the incarnation of Christ many times in passing, but not to get in great detail here, but think about that. The eternal God, Jesus Christ, willingly laid aside all that's his rightfully, his glory, his majesty, and his honor, and tabernacled, John said in chapter one of the gospel, tabernacled among men, pitched a tent, took on human flesh. And he did that for the specific reason of being our sacrifice. He lived a sinless life. Jesus Christ, both God and man at the same time, is the only human being to ever live sinlessly on this earth. And the reason that's critical, the reason that's important, is he could not be our sacrifice unless he was sinless and spotless. So he lived a sinless life, he went to the cross. The penalty of sin is death, he died on the cross, a literal death. Heretics will say Jesus didn't die, he swooned, they put him in a tomb, he woke up and he walked out. That's a lie, that's a lie of Satan. Jesus died a literal death because the penalty of sin is death. They put him in a tomb and because he's God, death couldn't hold him. Because he's the eternal son of God, death couldn't hold him. The father raised him up. He conquered sin and death and the grave and ascended back to heaven. We can be saved because we have a victorious savior. We can be saved because we have a living savior. We have a living God 
who, who is for us. And so his ministry, his purpose for the whole time he was here for those 33 years, so we would measure for the amount of time that he was here, his purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost. Now in John chapter eight, uh, Jesus had gone into the temple and I would encourage you to go home and read John chapters eight and nine because they're connected. And Jesus stood in the temple and he said in chapter 12, in chapter eight, verse 12, he said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a whole circumstance scenario around that, the time of year it was for the Jews and the candles and all that. But the point is this, Jesus clearly declared, if you follow me, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be in darkness. Now, what kind of darkness was Jesus talking about? He was talking about spiritual darkness, talking about being lost. Uh, those who are lost in their sin are, are, in their, are, are in spiritually in darkness. They can't understand. They can't perceive those things. Now in chapter 9, what Jesus does is he gives a practical illustration in a man's life of what he said in chapter 8 about being the light of the world, about being the one who can bring men and women out of darkness and give them light and let them walk with him. And so in chapter 9, we find in the ministry of Jesus an act of mercy, an act of kindness, of compassion and empathy. And yet in that kindness and that empathy and the healing of a blind man, Jesus demonstrates that he's the light of the world and that through him, blindness is cured both physically and spiritually. So look at verses one through five of John chapter nine. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, teacher, master, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? I pause, if I was writing this, if this wasn't inspired, if I was writing it, that would not be the verse two that would follow verse one. Okay, I wouldn't have my disciples asking that kind of question, but they did, okay? Verse three, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Then Jesus made this statement, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, he said it again, I am the light of the world. I really like this passage. I've, I've probably pe preached this passage more than any other in the Bible. You might not be able to tell it tonight, but I have uh, because I enjoy it so much. The first thing we notice is that Jesus passed by. That phrase is not there for an empty reason, the Holy Spirit put it there. Jesus passed by a man who had no perception that Jesus was there other than hearing about him. The man couldn't see that Jesus was there. He could maybe hear the crowds talk about Jesus. And I'm sure everybody in Jerusalem and everybody around had heard of Jesus, but he had no capacity to find Jesus. He couldn't see. He couldn't decide if I'm gonna go find this man, Jesus, this teacher, Jesus, and find out what he's all about because he's blind. He has no capacity to look or seek out Jesus. The picture here that's painted spiritually is, is impactful and astounding. In our lostness, when we come into the world and before we are saved, we are spiritually uh, like this man. No lost man or woman has ever woke up in the morning and said, I'm gonna go find Jesus today. No one's ever done that. 
Because in our lostness, we don't look for Jesus. In fact, think back to the day you were saved, and I can think of it true in my life. On the day you were saved, Jesus passed by your way. In your circumstance, in your, in your life, wherever you were, Jesus passed by your way. And in grace and mercy, the same kind of compassion that he had for this man in all ways, physically and spiritually, Jesus has and had the same compassion for you and me. When I got saved, we didn't go to church. It wasn't like I had been sitting in church all my life hearing the gospel and then one day, boom, the light came on and, and oh yeah, well, maybe I need to do that. No, my dad got sick and almost died and he came home from the hospital and he said, we're going to church Sunday. Well, in that day, you didn't talk back to your dad. You didn't question. The only, the only right answer was, yes, sir. When do you want me to get in the car? And so we go to church. I didn't go to Sunday school. I'd been to vacation Bible school maybe twice in my life as a kid. We were not a church family. So God passed by my way, sitting in a classroom and an elderly lady in a Sunday school class full of rowdy boys, 10, 11 years old, shared the gospel with us. And the Holy Spirit piqued my interest. And she looked at me and said, are you saved? My first Sunday there, talk about get put on the spot. You ever been saved? I said, man, I don't even know what that is. She explained it in front of the class. He said, don't you want to be saved? I said, yes, I do. So I said, I want to pray. She goes, we got to pray out loud. And I said, boy, this is getting harder all the time. <laughs> she goes, you got to pray out loud. I want you to pray out loud so you can hear yourself pray. I want it to be real for you. So I prayed out loud. God, I'm a sinner. I don't know much, but I, I believe you'll save me. So I asked him. And he did. You and I are just like this guy. Just going through life, blind as a bat. You know, living in the world. Don't know what's up or down. And suddenly Jesus passes by and breaks into your life. And suddenly you understand and you go, wow, how did I miss that? And how did I not see that? It's because you were blind. Just like this guy, we were blind. And Jesus passes by. The sad part is this. I think Jesus passes by in a lot of people's lives and they don't pay attention. And Jesus helps them understand and then they purposely and of their own accord turn him down. How foolish is that? It'd be like Jesus saying to this guy, hey, you're blind, you want me to give you sight? No, thanks, I'm doing okay. No, I think I'll just stay in my blindness right here, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And that's what it's like, except worse spiritually. Lost people never go looking for God. So I would say to you online or here tonight, if Jesus is passing by tonight and he's touching your heart, don't waste the opportunity. You say, well, you know, pastor, you're really making a strong spiritual parallel. Well, yeah, look at the next statement. He's blind from birth. That's not an air by accident either. It's not like he had sight and then lost it. It's not like he knew what vision was and knew what a sunrise was and a sunset or what what the world that he lived in looked like. No, he'd been blind from birth, which means he had been in darkness since he could conceive or comprehend anything. He'd been in darkness his whole life. Well, you know, that's how we are spiritually. 
We come into this world sinners. Now I believe the Bible is very clear that children prior to an age of understanding or accountability, and that age is different for every child, by the way. It's not some magical number that you just put out there. Any child before they reach an age of accountability where they understand right and wrong or, or sin or that they can be saved, they're safe in Jesus. And the Bible's very clear about that. But we come into the world, make no mistake about it, we come into the world completely blind. And at no point do we come of ourselves when we come of age and go, oh, I suddenly understand spiritual things, not without Jesus coming by. Not without, not without Jesus intervening in our lives. We're born separated from God by our sin. Safe in Jesus when we don't understand. Safe in Jesus when we're, when we're so young as a baby or a toddler or a child who's not yet understood but nonetheless sinful because we have Adam's nature in us and we pass that nature down to our children. So we're born that way in the spiritual darkness. In fact, Paul said, but even our gospel to the Corinthian church is veiled. He says veiled to those who are perishing. Why? Because the, their minds, the God of his age has blinded their minds who do not believe lest the lie of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine into them. So they're blinded by their sin. I'll tell you a second thing about this man that pictures us spiritually. There was no cure for what was wrong with him. There's no human cure for what was wrong with him. You say, oh, we have modern medicine. Hey, people are born blind today. You still can't fix it. The eyeball is one of the most intricate things and the optic nerve connected to the brain. Not much you can do for that. It either works or it doesn't. You say, oh, well, I got glasses. Well, yeah, they're just fiddling with the front part of your eye when they do that. The lens in the front got a different shape, and they're just putting a piece of glass up there to put the image on the back of your retina. But if that retina's messed up, they didn't connect to the brain, they ain't fixing that. They're not, they're not hooking that back up. That's a God thing, okay? So there was no cure for this guy's blindness. There was no human remedy for what was wrong with him. He's just flat out born blind and there's nobody that can help him except Jesus. The only one who can fix his eyes is the one who created eyeballs in the first place, right? He's the one who has the blueprint in heaven, the one who drew it up and put it all together. He can fix it. He's the, he's the engineer, the great physician. And so this guy pictures us in our lostness. You know this, Sunday night crowd. There's no human fix for what's wrong with man's soul. There's nothing. There's nothing we can do to fix ourselves. We can't be good enough or, or earn enough merit with God. There's not a religious system, a religious process that can take away sin. The only remedy for what's wrong with us is Jesus, the one who can save us. So this blind guy represents us uh, in our lostness. No remedy, only, only God who can do the impossible can come and save us. And by the way, aren't you thankful that God's both able and willing to do what we need? Be one thing if Jesus walked by the blind guy and goes, yeah, I could fix you, but not today. Yeah, I could heal you, but I'm busy. I'm not doing it today. No, God is able and desires to fix what's wrong with us. It's man that messes it up and walks away from God. Not only was there no human cure for what was wrong with this guy, but uh, in society, 
he was looked down upon by the Jews, as illustrated in the question of the disciples. Look at verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, I'm always intrigued by that. I know why they asked the question, and I'm going to tell you why they asked the question. But I'm still intrigued by it, because I, in my mind, the picture is, here's the blind guy, because Jesus passes by, and his disciples are with him, and there's the guy. Nothing wrong with his ears. Just his eyes, right? Now, how would you feel if you're the blind guy and you become the, the object lesson of a theological discussion? Hey, master, teacher, see this rascal here, this guy, this blind guy? Was it his sin that caused him to be that way or his parents? Probably didn't make him feel too good. What do you think? Now, why would they ask such a question? Do you find that odd? Well, they are falling prey or had fallen prey to the same errant theology you find all the way back in Job. Well, in the Jewish mind, what they were equating is if something bad happened to somebody, like this guy was born blind, then obviously some sin was involved and he's at fault. Or somebody in his life is at fault because God is punishing him for the sin. Now, the only way a person would have that view in such a dogmatic way that's insulting and condemning is if they themselves think they're above the sin and the punishment, which was indicative of the religious leadership of Israel. And the disciples here are infected with that. And they're saying, well, Lord, this guy must be some kind of sinner because uh, he's born blind. What, whose sin was it? Is that not what Job's friends told him? Well, Job, we love you, buddy. You're our, you're our pal, our buddy, and, and we know you believe in God, but man, God's hammering you, so what did you do? And Job said, I didn't do anything. Oh, come on, Job, you can tell us. And then that goes on for you know, forever, right? Three, three rounds each. But them guys saying, Job, you must be some kind of sinner. No, this isn't, what do we know about suffering? I'll give you three real quick. Three things that we know about suffering in the, in the life of someone who belongs to God. Number one, all, suffer, all people in the world suffer because there's sin in the world. It's not personal. We're all guilty, okay? Disease and, and, and there's a hurricane tearing New Orleans apart right now. It could have landed here. There's no, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to that. Now, does God control that stuff? Oh, you absolutely. God can move it. He can do whatever he wants to with it. But the world is, is cursed in sin. Creation is cursed in sin. I'll bet you before Adam sinned, there were no hurricanes. Before Adam sinned, there were no tornadoes and forest fires and, 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 and storms and hail. No. Sin brought all of that stuff upon the earth. So we know that suffering is universal because there's sin in the world. What else do we know about suffering that they didn't take into consideration? Well, secondly, some suffering can be for God's purposes. God allows suffering sometimes for his glory. Job, again, for example, what do we find out at the end of the book of Job? There's this cosmic contest going on that Job's not privy to, and the only reason we know it is because God told us. And in the end, God was glorified because Job was a righteous man and he never cursed God. And then we see God rewarded him at the end, restored his children and gave him all back his stuff. So we see that, that God uses these 
circumstances in life for his glory. What about the blind man in this passage? Is God gonna use his circumstances for his glory? Well, Jesus said as much. Jesus said in verse three, neither is this man or his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. God's gonna use what sin messed up to bring glory to himself. So God does that all the time. And then finally, the one we really don't care for is sometimes God sends or allows difficulty in our lives for our own good. You say, boy, I don't like that one. I know, but when we get exercised in our faith, it gets stronger, don't it? It's like going to the gym, you know? You work out and then your arm feels like it's gonna fall off, but it makes your muscles stronger and, and, and you grow. So God sometimes exercises us with, with difficulties or allows us to pass through suffering for his own purposes for our own good. And we don't know what that is and won't know until we get to heaven. But the fact is, Jesus told his disciples in verse three, it isn't this guy's sin or his parents' sins that he was born this way. And then rather than get tied up in their theological debate about how sinful this man is or his parents, Jesus makes a statement in verses four and five that is valuable instead of going down the road they were on. Look at it again. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, the night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now Jesus quickly grabbed those guys and said, look, here's the thing you need to understand. I have a finite number of days here to do this ministry. They've been appointed by the Father and Jesus called that the day. You see the parallel? You have a finite number of days to walk around on this planet. We all do. And that's the daytime. Jesus said, when it's daytime, we need to be, we need to be working. We need to be laboring for him. We need to be doing what we're supposed to be doing during the daytime because Jesus said night's coming when nobody can work. There's Jesus was saying there's coming a time when I'm gonna wrap this up. I'm going to the cross, I'm gonna die, I'm going in the tomb, I'm coming out, I'm gonna hang around here 40 days, get you guys pointing in the right direction and I'm going back to the right hand of the Father. So while I'm here, we need to make hay. While I'm here, we need to be ministering and healing people and sharing the gospel and seeking and saving that which is lost. What should we be doing? Spending our days here consuming them on us? No. Consuming them on what we want to do? Nope. That's not the wise way to do it. Now, I'm not saying you can't take vacations and, and enjoy time and take down time because we're not Jesus, right? And we need, we, need, we need rest. But what should be the purpose of our life? The fields are white unto harvest. Jesus said, man, let's pray for laborers, that the Father send laborers in the field. If you're saved, Jesus has called you and you're a laborer. You're a laborer. So we should be laboring because the night's coming when nobody can work. What's the night? Well, either I'm gonna die and leave here and then you're on your own, okay? Or Jesus is gonna come back and take us all out of here. And here's the point. When Jesus comes back or we die and we leave here, you can't do anything else for the cause of Christ in this world. It's done. So whatever you're gonna do for Jesus, you better get to doing it right now. Whatever it's gonna be, wherever it's gonna be in service or, or winning people to Jesus or whatever it is, you need to be doing it now. And Jesus says to the disciples, let's don't worry about your, your discussions about where sin came from. It isn't him and it isn't his parents. We gotta be busy. We're gonna to minister to this guy. And we're going to minister to many others that we need to be busy while it's day because the night is coming. Now it brings me to my favorite part, how Jesus healed this guy. 
Look at verses six and seven. This is unique in every way. And when he has said these things, obviously again, he's near to God because he's right there, okay? He spat on the ground and made clay of the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by translation sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That's so good. Mass is really good. The first question is, what's up with the spitting and the dirt and the mud and, the, and, and that kind of stuff? Well, believe it or not, if you study some first century history and medical thought, saliva was always considered, even before Jesus' day, to have positive effects on eyesight problems. And I could gross you out with some stuff, but I, I, won't, I won't gross you out with it. Saliva was considered to be medicinal for many things. In my mind, it would be whose saliva is it first, okay? <laughs> I mean, you know, I would want to know that, or is it just in a vial, like saliva, you know, you know, twice a day, I don't know, you know, whatever. Uh, but in, it was considered medicinal, and, and it was used a lot of times for eye problems, okay? I don't know if it worked. I ain't going to find out. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is there was the idea in, in that time that Jesus was ministering that saliva had benefits. And by the way, if you're curious, this wasn't the only time Jesus spit or, or used saliva. He did it when he, the deaf and mute guy, you know, stuck his fingers in his ear and all that stuff and spit, and then the guy could talk. The point is, it, it was a common, and that day was a common thing. Now, commentators will tell you this. I'm gonna tell you what I think in a moment, but I'll tell you what the commentators say. Commentators will say, well, you know, Jesus was using what was common in that day in his ministry. Eh, yeah, maybe. I, when I look at the life of Jesus, nothing was common about Jesus, okay? He didn't really care what they did in the day, so I'm not really buying that. But I'll tell you what I do think. God will often, now listen to this very carefully, God will often in his grace condescend to our level to help us understand, okay? God's been doing that forever. As a matter of fact, if God didn't condescend to our level, none of us would, you know, we just wouldn't get it, all right? Here's what I think Jesus was doing. This guy lived in a time when that was part of the medicinal process. Not to mention the fact that Jesus did something to him. Now, now we all agree Jesus could have just right there spoke the word and the guy could have saw, right? He, he would have had his eyesight back or Jesus, Jesus didn't have to touch him. But Jesus, I think, condescended to fan the flames of his faith. That's what I think he did. To do something to him, to, put, to, to, to touch him, to put something on him, so that, so that he thinks something's happening. You everybody following me? I mean, Jesus could do it any number of ways, but we, we're just not that sharp. You know, sheep, you know, we can go back to that whole analogy, think sheep are dumb. And sheep don't, you know, sheep don't understand. And so God condescends to us and he helps us and he fans the flame of our fledgling faith and he draws us to him. And I think Jesus simply did this to be a blessing to the guy, to help him understand, to say, hey, I'm gonna help you. Hey, he's been blind his whole life. I don't know if he's ever tried to, who knows what his life had been like, but Jesus makes this mud, puts it on him, and then gives him a command and, and sends him. Now, I wanna make several observations about what Jesus told him to do in connection to his faith, okay? Number one, the command was very specific, wasn't it? 
He told him to go wash in the pool, and not any pool, but a specific pool, the Pool of Siloam, which was connected to a water duct. You can study all that. Do you suppose, and I don't know where this guy was at in relation to where the pool was at. I don't know if it was close or far. Might be able to figure it out. I don't know. I would think, though, there might have been some other sources of water before he got to the Pool of Siloam, is what I'm saying. In other words, there was probably somewhere closer, and he probably knew that because he wasn't dumb. I mean, he's just blind, right? Probably been around there his whole life. So he, so in his mind, he might have been thinking, well, you know, instead of trying to find my way all the way to the Pool of Siloam, uh, and there's a water trough, there's, a, there's another, there's whatever, okay? But the command was specific. I don't have any problem telling you had the guy washed his face in any other pool of water but Salome, he wouldn't have received a sight because Jesus told him specifically what to do. Isn't that kind of like salvation? Pretty specific, isn't it? I mean, it's not complicated, but it's specific. We're lost. We deserve judgment. We're under the condemnation of God for our sin. Not ambiguous about that. We can't save ourselves. We're blind. Jesus said, look, I died for you. If you'll ask me to forgive you and put your faith in me, I'll forgive all your sins. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Like no other way, can't do it another way. It's pretty specific. So this guy had to believe Jesus and do exactly what he was told. You know, us humans have a hard time doing exactly what we're told, don't we? I mean, we are so obstinate. We're so hard-headed. Matter of fact, just look at our country now. People don't like being told what to do, do they? No. Well, we're, we're to the nth degree that way before God. We don't like being told what to do because we think we're our own boss. But Jesus told this guy, go to this pool and wash. Now, did it require faith for him to act? Yeah. I mean, let's, let's just be, you know, I don't know, put myself in his sandals for a minute. Barefooted, maybe he didn't have sandals. Put myself in his shoes. This teacher that I've heard about comes by. I've never seen him before. I don't know him. Puts mud on my eyes. I hear him spit, so I know what it is. Let's go down to the pool and wash this off. Well, you got a choice, don't you? You can wipe that off your face and sit there. Or you can say, can't hurt, okay? And you go down there. I say it takes faith. It takes faith for a person to get out of their own way and trust Jesus. It takes faith. He had to decide, you know what? I'm going to believe him. Not sure what's going to happen, but I'm going to do what he said. When I got saved, it was kind of that way. Lord, you said you'd save me. I guess that's what's going to happen. I believe you. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what you said. I think this guy had to do the same thing. And finally, his obedience led him to the pool. And the Bible says when he washed his face, he came away seeing. Now we could spend the rest of our 15 minutes talking about what kind of glorious moment that must have been. I mean, I can only imagine. Guy's been blind his whole life. He doesn't know, he doesn't know what anything looks like. I don't know if he was married. I don't know if his family took him down there and set him out there to, to beg 
It's the only way he can make a living. I don't know if he was married. I don't know if he had children. I don't know if his parents were still alive. Who knows? We don't know anything about his life. Well, we know his parents are still alive because it's later in the story. Okay, But we don't know if he has any other family. We don't know much about him other than his parents are alive. But he washes his face and suddenly the light of day shines in and he can see good. And I, I would even suggest he had 20-20 vision. What do you think? He could probably see really good. Probably better than us. So he, he, he receives from Jesus light. Now at this point, he's still not saved. He's just been blessed by Jesus. Now what happened after he was healed? Now I'm not gonna take the time to read all this. I'm gonna kind of walk you through it. You go home and read it because it's really good. He's pretty excited because he can see now. And I just suppose he's telling people, what do you think? Hey, you're not going to believe this, man. I was sitting down there and Jesus passed by and put this mud on my face. I washed the pool of Siloam. Man, I can see. And so there's a group of people who go, is that the blind guy? Is that the guy that was blind? And some people won't believe the miracle and they go, no, it just looks like him. That can't be him. And other people are going, no, I'm pretty sure that's him because... He's been sitting there every day when we come by, and I'm pretty sure that's him, and he can see now. Well, it doesn't take long till somebody tells the religious leaders, and they come around. And that's a really great exchange. You go on and read that. Because the, the, the religious leaders get this guy cornered, and they go, tell us a story, what happened? Oh, man, Jesus came by, and he put the clay on my eyes, and I went and washed in the pool, and now I can see. Now, you would think that bunch of fellows would go, amen, praise God. Mm-mm. They wasn't having none of that. You know why? Because they don't like Jesus. And so then they tell the guy, tell us again what happened to you, and they're starting to irritate him. And then they call his mom and daddy in, and they ask the mom and daddy, says, is this your son? And mom and daddy knows what's coming, so mom and daddy didn't help out. Some parents they were. They said, look, here's what we know. That's our son. And he used to be blind because he was born that way, and we don't know anything else. Thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. We don't know anything else. So they start asking him again over and over what happened, seeing if he would change his story, right? Seeing if they can catch him in an in a, in a inconsistency, but his story's the same every time. I was blind from birth. Jesus came by, healed me, and, and he did it. It was a miracle, and now I can see. And so then they start telling this guy, well, listen, Jesus is some kind of sinner, man. He's, he's a false teacher, and, and we don't like him. And I love the guy's answer. Listen to this. John chapter 9, verse 25. Listen to what he says. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But here's one thing I know. I used to be blind, and now I can see you figure it out. <laughs> well, not only does he tell them that, but he schools them a little bit. This guy that used to be blind, he goes, look, you guys are telling me some kind of great sinner. You're supposed to be the smarty pants around here, so listen. Here's what I know. He came by and did a great work. He said, when's the last time you ever heard of anybody who was born blind get their sight back? Of course, all the Pharisees got to be going, well, you know, well, it's been a long time. He goes in, we know that God no use sinners like that. 
so he can't be some kind of great sinner. Well, then the Pharisees did what lost people do when they're stumped, they attacked him. And said, oh man, you're a worse kind of sinner and you were born blind because you were a sinner and they cast him out. Well, here's the last part. It's the best part. When the world rejects you, Jesus will take you. When the world throws you out, Jesus come looking for you. Listen to this, John chapter nine, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And then when he had found him, Jesus went looking for this guy. The first time he just passed by, now it's purposeful. Now Jesus is looking for him. Listen to this. And he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? Now there's the question. Because Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah, he's the king. And he said, do you believe in him? Now listen to this guy's answer, verse 36. He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Now remember, he's been blind. He just got his sight. He didn't know what Jesus looked like till right now. Lord, after the day I've had, point him out. Yeah, where, yeah. Who is it that I should believe in? Now look, Jesus said to him in verse 37, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you? And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. That's good, isn't it? You know what's really cool about this? When you get to heaven, you can talk to this guy. Won't that be neat? Man, I'm not even gonna get into that. I, when I read some of these characters in the Bible, and some of them are characters, and I read about them, and they're saved, I'm thinking, one of these days, I'm gonna sit down with David and go, hey, David, between you and me, what were you really thinking when you walked there and saw Goliath, man? That guy's huge. You know, tell me what you were thinking. Were you a little bit scared? A little bit nervous? I don't know what he's gonna say, but you wanna ask those questions, don't you? You wanna say, hey, hey, Gideon, how'd it feel on the half 300, man? How'd you feel about that? You know, when God said go down there, how'd you feel about that? I wanna ask them that stuff. The blind man goes, he meets Jesus and he gets saved. Let me close with this part. The ministry of Jesus in the New Testament is wonderful. I mean, it's fantastic. He, I mean, think about how Jesus ministered to people. And in Luke seven, I think it is, a centurion comes to Jesus, a Roman, a, a Roman occupier who's occupying the land, an enemy of Israel comes to Jesus and says, look, I got a servant that I really care for. Uh, and they're sick and they're gonna die. Would you heal them? And the centurion said, look, I, I, I know how authority, I see it in you. I, you know, I'm a centurion and when I command and I say go, they go. And when I say come, they come. And, and I believe you, I believe who you say you are and you can command and my servant will be healed. And Jesus looked around at the Jewish crowd with him and said, man, I, never, I have found faith like that in all Israel. And then Jesus spoke the word and, and the servants healed. And then other times lepers, Lepers who nobody or outcast of society and Jesus puts his hands on them and, and has compassion on them and loves them and he heals them. And deaf people and lame people and even a widow whose son died and her only hope of somebody to take care of her is being carried on the funeral pyre and, and Jesus raises them from the dead. What compassion, what love and empathy for his creatures that Jesus would do those things. Well, here's the good news. The Jesus who did all that stuff, 
He's still our God. And He still loves us. And He's still doing those things for His people. You say, well, you know, I don't see those kinds of miracles today. Oh, I do. I see Jesus do miracles all the time. I see people that are sick, raised up off of beds where you think they're going to die and God spares their lives and they live on. I've seen God minister to those when they do suffer and I've seen it in their lives and I've seen it in my own life. We have, we have a good God who loves us. If you don't know him, can I invite you to ask him to save you tonight? Would you come to him as I did all those years ago and just, just confess your sin to him, believe him, put your faith in him, ask him to forgive your sin and save your soul and he'll give you eternal life right now, tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for passages like this that are just tremendous. What a blessing. Lord Jesus, you had literally the weight of the world on your shoulders as you faced the cross to become sin for, for a world full of undeserving people. And yet you had time in your ministry. You had time to minister to each individual person and to break into their lives and be the light of the world to them, to heal them and to call them unto salvation. Thank you, God, that you work that way today. Lord, if there's somebody under the hearing of your word right now that needs to be saved, God, may they just pause wherever they are in this room or online and say, God, I'm a sinner and I know it. And God, I deserve your judgment, but I believe, I believe your word that you'll save me. And so by all the faith I have, God, forgive my sins, save me, come into my heart and be my Lord. You'll save anybody who will ask. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. A stand as we sing. I'll be glad to pray with you or help you. You come on the first verse. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time that I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares. Amen. Thank you for coming back tonight and spending this time in God's Word. Wednesday night, we have our Bible study groups, life care groups. Come be a part of that. We have a class for every age, young people, children, uh, adults, every age. So come, come be a part of that with us and study the Bible. We start the book of Philippians this Wednesday night. So that's a great, a great book to study. So you come. Let's pray. God, give us a safe journey as we go home tonight. Lord, give us a good week. God, let us be mindful of serving you this week, of sharing the gospel, of being a testimony, of living out our faith, that you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.